to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this March 2011 episode, we're going to kick things off by checking in on the latest happenings in the genealogy world with Jamie Royce, who is guest blogging on the Genealogy Insider blog. Then in our top tip segment, genealogy author and instructor Lisa Alza will have some brick wall busting strategies for us from her article called Cold Cases that appears in the March 2011 issue of the magazine. And just in time for St. Patrick's Day, in our 101 Best Websites for Tracing Your Roots segment, we're going to look at some great websites for tracing your Irish ancestors. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will be here again with another installment of Safekeeping. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, genealogist Charlotte Bocage will talk about the importance of citing our research sources and sharing some tips from her Family Tree University class. It's called Source Documentation 101, How to Cite Genealogy Sources Accurately and Effectively. And finally, we will check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has a great deal on another fantastic family history resource. There is a lot to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the genealogy news with Jamie Royce. kick off this episode with news from the blogosphere and here to give us the scoop is Jamie Royce sitting in for genealogy insider blogger Diane Haddad. Hi Jamie. Hi Lisa. Well of course um, there's been a lot going on in the blogosphere and being posted here on Genealogy Insider. Um, I've had a lot of fun being one of the contributors while Diane has been off on maternity leave and I know that you've been doing a lot of posting but I have to say I think that the uh, post that Grace did of the picture of Diane's brand new baby boy pretty much trumped everything else this week, don't you think? It, it really does. He's adorable. They were um, at a family history center, and uh, he, she brought him along for the ride. She wasted no time getting him uh, introduced to microfilm and microfiche, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's looking at the microphone, and he's right there in the car seat. <laughs> oh, all of you listening have to go check it out. Um, the post is called Baby's First Family History Center Visit. It was from March 4th, and uh, little Leo is absolutely adorable. He looks like he's ready to reach out and grab the microfilm reader. Yeah, he was. She actually brought him into the office the other day, and he's just adorable. He was already. He's going to be the little family historian, just like, just like his mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous you got to see him. Well, he's adorable. Everybody else can see him on the website, and of course, there have been other genealogy-related things going on. Um, you have some big news to announce there that that's been announced on the blog, haven't you? Yeah, we actually um, just posted the Family Tree 40, which is our um, top 40 blogs as voted by the people who read the blogs. And then we also have some panelist picks in there. So Exactly. And um, I really enjoyed being a panelist on that um, whole project because, oh my gosh, there are so many genealogy and family history themed blogs out there and such a wide range. It, it was so hard to pick. Um, but you guys eventually did get it down to a total of 40. Um, tell us, what are some of the highlights? Were there new, lots of new entries this year? We actually had um, over about half of them are um, brand new blogs to the list right. or are just new blogs in general. We had a new blog category. So we have five new blogs in that category that won. Um, there 
all over the place as to like what kind of blogs they are but a lot of them are like personal talking about your own family history whereas others are kind of like how to tips and tricks all those kind of things but they're really just good blogs and I was really so impressed with the blogs that we ended up picking because it was it what it, it looked like it was really hard to decide and um the blogs it's just the quality of the material and like they all just look good and it's just it's just I'm just so impressed, honestly. <laughs> I really was too. It was so difficult to to go through and and thin it down. But I think you know, really, it seemed to me as I was going through the whole process with the rest of the panelists is that it wasn't even so much that these are the top forty. What that whole project and that whole posting really emphasizes is that there is something out there for everybody, and there is such good quality information that um, once you go through that first top 40 list, you realize, wow, I'm really missing out if I'm not plugging into these blogs. Right, and a lot of them are just everyday people. They're not like genealogy community celebrities or anything. It's just people who are genealogy enthusiasts or who are really into their family history or that kind of stuff, and they are just blogging about it and there really is a strong community of genealogists online who comment on each other's blogs and communicate with each other on the internet about their own family histories and um, about how to really get over those brick walls and teaching each other how to best do their genealogy. Exactly. Well, um, I will have a link in the show notes for this episode so that you can go directly and check out that top 40 list for yourself. And of course, you know, have some fun. Go over to uh, Google or Bing and just do a search on family history blog or genealogy blog or plug in um, a particular location you're researching. It seems like you can almost guarantee there is somebody out there talking about what you're interested in. Don't you think, Jamie? Yeah. And you know, and if you find one blog you like, go to their blog role, which is a list of blogs that they like or admire or support and you're going to find tons of other blogs that are similar so just really get out there and get your feet wet when it comes to blogging that is a top tip i think you're absolutely right is if you know that that person is writing about what you're interested in chances are their list of favorite blogs is going to be right up your alley great tip jamie thanks so much i will look forward to uh, talking to you again soon all right well thank you lisa Well, here in our top tips segment, I am so pleased to bring back a friend of the show and uh, obviously somebody that you are well familiar with, and that is Lisa Alzo. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing great. And in this um, March episode, we want to talk a little bit about brick wall strategies. And I know that you have a new article coming out in the magazine. It's called Cold Cases. Uh, That's coming out in the March issue. When you talk about cold cases, are you talking about those cases that we worked so hard on and then just felt like there was nowhere else to go and they just kind of sat on the desk? <laughs> Pretty much, yes. Uh, you, you do research and then inevitably you hit some sort of stumbling block or brick wall, as we like to call them. And, and you may sort of start beating your head against the wall and you can't find an answer. So then... You just put it away and sometimes it'll sit for, you know, quite a long time, maybe even years, and then you decide to pick it up again for whatever reason. So, yeah, things that, you know, you research and then you just get stuck, basically. 
And so that happens really to all of us. And you have been at this for a long time, I know, and doing your, your research professionally and writing about it. Uh, give us some of your best tips from the article. What do you do when you hit a brick wall like that? Well, the first thing I do is, well, number one, I try to keep everything organized. So I try to you know, keep good sources, good documentation on you know, what I've checked, uh, different different hypotheses, things that worked, things that didn't work. And then what I, I usually also like to do is I keep, I keep a timeline of each ancestor outlining his or her life, uh, all the major events and, and some of the historical events that influenced uh, decisions possibly uh, that, that they made. And then that helps me keep organized. That's, that's the first tip. Mm-hmm. And um, then what I what I a couple of things I like to do, and one is is sort of it, it's I, in the article I mentioned mapping your ancestor. So so doing research based on locality, and I know this is something that that you do uh, quite frequently. You speak about and you write about it, especially with your Google Earth uh, presentations and your CV. Yeah. And so mapping your ancestors, getting a sense of location, where things happen, can really help you stay organized on you know where to go for the records uh, you know if they migrated if they if they traveled uh to different states or different places uh along the way then you can sort of look at your timeline and then do research uh based on that locality and part of that is also doing what genealogists what we call cluster research and so that's you know not just researching your direct ancestor but checking out the uh, uh, brothers and sisters and relatives, brother-in-laws, sister-in-laws, cousins, and even, you know, neighbors and friends. And so that really helps. Uh, it, you, you take a look at maybe the census and see who's living next door, who's living nearby, or you find your ancestors, if you find your ancestors' passenger uh, list record, then you can see who else came on the ship. Did they come from the same town? So you can, you can start, uh, doing some different things to put your ancestors in historical context. And also, maybe if you're hitting a brick wall, maybe you can research the brother, the sister, or the, the neighbor and see, are there any clues in records, uh, that way to lead you to what you need to find out about your ancestor. Exactly. I mean, a timeline is kind of a standard tool that we all think about using, but I, I agree with you. I think that having the map is just as critical. Those two pieces together, because that's the whole context, isn't it? And then you can see where these people are in relationship to each other. Now, you also talked in the article about follow the finances. What did you mean by that? Well, uh, Basically, money plays a critical role in, you know, how and where we all live and even where your ancestors lived. So if they own property, paid taxes, uh, left an inheritance, uh, there should be a record of that. So you can go to your local courthouse or the county records office, town clerk, and, you know, look for deeds, look for transactions, uh, look for any kind of property or court cases or anything that might might give you an indication of of your ancestors' financial well-being or lack thereof, and and then and as I said, when we look at the historical context, you know what makes your ancestors uh, do certain things or, or go places. So people would either you know go to live with their families, or sometimes military service might might have taken ancestors to different localities, or just finances. Uh, you know, especially you know during the depression, you would find 
families living together and nearby each other. And, and even in my own family, I know my, my grandparents, uh, my grandfather was a coal miner in Ohio. And so when the mines stopped working there, then they went to Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, because my grandmother had a sister there. And so they moved there, and I found them in the 1930 census living in Wilkes-Barre. And then they, then they moved on uh, to Duquesne, Pennsylvania, because my grandmother had another sister there, and the coal mines, there was no work, so they went where the family was. So uh, you know, because of the, the lack of work and the lack of finances, this all played a role in, in where uh, my ancestors, when my grandparents went. And so, uh, you know, if you, if you take a look at, at that, maybe you can find some clues uh, in those records to, to, to indicate why your ancestors lived in a particular place or, or made, made certain decisions. And, and that's, I think that's really important to, to step back and look at that. And also you can check historical newspapers. So you can see, you know, you want to check, you know, society pages and, and legal notices and, you know, were there any debts, warrants, liens against your ancestor? And then you can follow up with a court docket. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's interesting, not only where were relatives that they could maybe go to, but if you knew they were in the mining industry and you could read in the newspaper that, you know, in that area it was closing down, then you might look in location-wise and see, okay, well, where's the next viable place for them to work in that same industry? Same thing if, if a railroad changed or whatever. Um, all great tips. Now, I, what I love about your articles is not only do you have these basic strategies, but you have kind of these sidebars in the articles. And one of them that you have in this one is called virtual breadcrumbs. This is kind of the new uh, frontier, I think, of genealogy, isn't it? When we hit our brick walls, it's to get out there and hit the social media side of things to get the word out about what family we're looking for, what we're, what we're trying to find and see who else is out there. What are some of your suggestions in that area? Well, I know I know there are many different ways you can do this, but some things that, that I found most effective for myself is uh, creating a family or a, a website, either a personal website or a family website. And you know there are many different uh, ways you can do this, and there's some tips in the article. Uh, but or if you don't want to do that, you can also blog. Blogging is easy; it's free. And I have a blog, and it's uh, the Accidental Genealogist is my blog. And I found that uh, using these methods, it, it really gets the word out. Uh, to to people around the world, and I found that so many people have actually found me and contacted me because of my website and my blog. And one one big example I, I have is uh, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I never found anybody researching really researching the Alzo surname. It's it's Slovak. It's not Italian. Uh-huh. And what I found out was uh, one day out of the blue, I got a a message from a, a woman uh, living in London who said that she believed we were cousins and. As we started corresponding, she told me that she had read an article I had written for one of the genealogy uh, magazines about my grandfather. And I had also posted some information on my website and my blog about my grandfather. And I never knew my grandfather. He died before I was born. And so she said that she believed her grandfather and my grandfather were brothers. And sure enough, uh, they were. Uh, they uh, my, They never knew each other. My grandfather came to America before his youngest brother was born, and so they never even met. And we started corresponding, and then we met 
last year in Slovakia. We happened to be traveling there at the same time. And so she took me to the ancestral village and showed me where my grandfather lived and grew up and, and the church. And so we, I had a, a two and a half day tour of the village. And so now, now we Skype every week and, and, <laughs> or, or every, you know, as often as we can. And we, and, and, and now, we know each other. So that's, that's an example. Just because I had a website that had my article and had postings about the Alzo surname, somebody found me. And, and so I think it's really important to, you know, whatever method works for you. But, but, uh, I, you know, I, I, I find that, that blogging and, and, and having a website. And of course, if you're doing, you know, Facebook or Twitter, that's other ways for people to find you. That's such a great point. That's kind of the same type of experience. I just had last week, uh, when I went to Who Do You Think You Are in London, I had posted a family tree online a couple of years ago and ended up uh, getting in touch. It was the only way I had ever made uh, contact with some descendants of the Cook family. And we ended up all kind of having an impromptu family reunion at the conference. And it was just amazing. It's, it's really nice to know that even if digitized documents don't currently exist online, or don't seem to be available in archives and libraries, they're still the people. They're still the people who have the drawers full of notes and photographs. And if we can just find each other, then we can really make some headway. Um, gosh, if you think that your research has hit a deep freeze, <laughs> don't give up. Um, Lisa Alzo's article called Cold Cases in the March 2011 issue of Family Tree Magazine is just going to give you a ton of wonderful strategies and they may not pay off tomorrow but if you put them out there and it's I'm sure that you're going to have luck sometime in the near future Lisa thank you so much again love to have you back on the show as always and uh, these are all terrific suggestions thank you thank you Lisa With St. Patrick's Day just around the corner, it just seems to make sense to take a look at the websites that can help you track down your Irish ancestors from the list of 101 best websites for tracing your roots. So first up, let's get oriented with Irish genealogy at Januki. If you're new to family history research in the UK and Ireland, Januki is a great place to start because it covers so many of the basics. Since genealogy is so often location-based, start by clicking the map in the center of the homepage and then just clicking the map of Ireland on the next page. Very quickly, you'll see what I mean about it being a great place to start because on the Ireland page, you're going to get basic stats and history and a comprehensive list of linked county names. Each county has its own web page. So whether you're looking at the country or the county level, you'll be able to just find just a wide range of resources. Januki doesn't try to post digital records. Their goal is to help you figure out what's available and where to find it. And sometimes that's our biggest hurdle, isn't it? Whether you're looking for church records, heraldry information, land records, manors, occupations, poorhouses, tax records, or even trying to decipher your British ancestors' handwriting, Januki can point you in the right direction. You can get started at genuki.org.uk. Next up, let's look for records at the National Archives of Ireland. The National Archives holds the records of the modern Irish state, which document its historical evolution and the creation of its national identity. 
Under its governing legislation, the National Archives Act of 1986, the National Archives provides services both to the government and the public. Well, a wonderful example of their public records is the 1911 census. All 32 counties of the 1911 Irish census are available at census.nationalarchives.ie. You can choose to view a transcription or a digitized version of the original page. The website can also be searched by religion, occupation, relationship to the head of the family, literacy status, county or country of origin, Irish language proficiency, specified illnesses, and child survival information. While visiting the site, take a few moments to learn more about Ireland. At the time, the 1911 census was taken. The section called Ireland in the 20th Century provides great insight and context to the lives of ancestors who lived during those times. But of course, the 1911 census is just the beginning of their holdings. Head on over to nationalarchives.ie slash research slash archives dot html for a look at their entire collection. Now, as I previously mentioned, genealogy is all about location, location, location. So our next stop in the 101 best websites list is the website called Ireland's History and Maps. It's interesting to see how history meets geography, meets genealogy in this site, which starts with ice ages and arrival of humans, if you can believe it. You can also hunt for surnames by county, barony, or castle. I found the 1840s map, which addresses the years of the Great Famine, particularly useful because my Irish ancestors immigrated as a result of the famine. The Ireland's History in Maps is hosted at RootsWeb, and you can find it at rootsweb.ancestry.com slash tilde ir L-K-I-K slash I-H-M slash I-R-E maps dot H-T-M. And of course, I will have that link and all of the links for all of these websites for you in the show notes for this podcast episode. And speaking of RootsWeb, there you will also find another site that made the list, and it's a great example of online collaboration. The County Tyrone site. Many Family Tree Magazine readers have sung the praises of this standout volunteer website. If you're lucky enough to have family history research to do in County Tyrone, then you're in for a field day. It's packed with primary and secondary source records, photographs, parish maps, and much more. You'll also find a link to the County Tyrone mailing list, which looks like the next best thing to traveling there. And if you don't have County Tyrone ancestors, you may still want to check it out. Use it as kind of a model in determining what you might want to contribute to a volunteer county website. You'll find County Tyrone at freepages.genealogy.rootsweb.ancestry.com slash tilde c-o-t-y-r-o-n-e Ireland. And there you have it four great websites that can help you trace your Irish roots from a list of 101 great websites for tracing your family history. Hi, everybody. This is 
Race, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. Digital photography has become ubiquitous in the last few years. You can take hundreds or even thousands of photos with no expensive processing fees. You just pick the best pics you want to print. But will your photos be safe for generations to come? I'll expose some harsh truths about saving digital photos in this edition of Safekeeping. So, the bad news first. Most point-and-shoot digital cameras we have save files to JPEG format, which by nature is a lossy format. Lossy means that every time the photo is saved, some quality is lost. When you've got some snaps you need to save, the first thing you should do is convert them to TIFF files, which are considered much more stable. These files are going to be really big and really high quality. Now, you don't need an expensive program like Photoshop to convert JPEGs to TIFFs. The free photo editing programs Picasa and Photoscape will let you convert those photos easily. If you want to step it up a notch, try Photoshop Elements. It's a pared-down version of Adobe Photoshop that's still powerful enough for most home users, and it's under 100 bucks. When you've created your high-resolution TIFF files, make sure you save them to an external hard drive or burn them to a CD or DVD. Making multiple copies of your digital photos and storing them in different places is the best way to assure that the photos won't be lost. Then, when I want to upload my photos to Facebook or attach them to an email, I create low-resolution copies. The big trick is to use the Save As or Save for Web function in the software and work with a copy, not with the original file. If you need more help with your family photos, I highly recommend the Family Tree University course Digital Photo Essentials with Nancy Hendrickson. You can find out more and sign up at FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Learn more about the resources I mentioned today on the podcast show notes page. Until next time, stay safe. Well, there's a common saying in the world of genealogy, there is no truth without proof. Successful genealogists abide by this, and it's a motto that my next guest, Charlotte Bocage, strives to drive home in her Family Tree University course. It's called Source Documentation 101, How to Cite Genealogy Sources Accurately and Effectively. Charlotte's a full-time professional genealogist with more than four decades of experience. Welcome to the podcast, Charlotte. Hi, Lisa. It's great to have you here, and um, I think this class is one that probably applies to just about everybody doing their family history research. So make your case. Why is source documentation so important to our family history research? Well, as you let in, there is no truth without proof. I um, believe that everything else is just a fairy tale if you don't have the proof to back it up. Because anyone can get up and talk about, you know, that they're related to Daniel Boone or they're related to George Washington. And if, but if you don't have the documentation to prove those relationships, then uh, you're just telling a fairy tale. Exactly. And 
I would imagine, you know, all of us when we first start out with our research, uh, oftentimes, we don't start by citing our sources. And yet that comes back to bite us later, because then we don't remember where things came from, or that we've even looked at that source before, right? It's a real time saver to cite your sources. Yes, it is, because uh, that happened to me. I had a person that came to a um, genealogy workshop, mm-hmm. and he said that he had uh, certain names in his family, and some of those names I remembered from research on my family. And I said, oh, I have a document that you might be interested in, and the next time I see you, I'll bring the document along, and perhaps we can, you know, talk about it. So, uh, indeed, I brought the document with me the next time I saw him, and um, he asked me, well, where did you get this? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, well, (laughs) let me check back with you. Uh, I'll get back to you on that. And so, fortunately, this time, uh, Ancestry had digitized a lot of the documents, and I was able to uh, simply type in the name and pull up the document and make a copy of all of the citation So, therefore, I was lucky in the respect that I was able to know where I got the document from, but I couldn't, it was easier for me to pull it up the second time around because Ancestry had digitized all of the documents. But I don't think that that's a very good idea because look at all the time I wasted having to go back over all of the information that I already had instead of doing it correctly the first time and uh, writing the citation on the back of the document and not having to go through that all over again. And also making the gentleman wait until the next time I saw him in order to provide the information he desperately needed uh, for his own research. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Sometimes we feel like, oh, gosh, this takes long, I have got to write this all down. But it truly is a time saver, it's going to free up more time and help us be more accurate. Now, Charlotte, I know that there's a couple of different styles of citations that we can use. Um, What do you teach in the class? Well, we use both of uh, Elizabeth Joan Mills's books, uh, Evidence and Evidence Explained. Because for genealogists, they are the benchmark Mm -hmm. for our use. Because we have such a wide range of information that's given to us. We have everything from uh, actual documents, uh, legal documents, to memorabilia. And um, Elizabeth Joan Mills does a very good job in covering a lot of that information in Evidence Explained. And that's why we use all of her information, not only her books, but her uh, quick sheets and all of this information that's available to us. The MLA is for academics, and the Chicago Manual of Style is for journalists. But for genealogists, uh, Elizabeth Joan Mills, has written the uh, quintessential books on how to document your sources. And of course, that 
helps ensure that we're all kind of speaking the same language, right? So that as we look at these sources, we can make heads or tails of what you know it means. Because I imagine in source citation, we are doing some types of abbreviation and trying, you know, we can't write whole paragraphs over everything. So it really helps to have that style to kind of quickly write it out and know that anybody else could interpret it. Correct. Because you need to be consistent in whatever you do Yeah. Uh, whenever you're citing your sources. And I tell my students that if they have any extra information that they deem important, then if they have a uh, genealogy software program, they can insert that information into the notes. Because what I do when I cite my census records, I also like to cite who is living in the house at the time. But I don't cite that in the uh, source documentation. I cite that in my notes because that is where it belongs. Um, if you cited all of the people that lived in a house in your source documentation and it wound up in your footnotes or your endnotes, then your footnotes or endnotes would be pages and pages long. Yeah. That's not what the intent is. It's intended to bring your next reader of your document to your source directly without any superfluous roundabout you know, this is where I got it and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a great tip. And I know from all your years of experience in doing your research that you've learned a lot of those things along the way. As you're doing your source citations and and learning the process, do you have tips or tricks that you teach your students to make it easier? I imagine there's probably some panic amongst your students that, oh, my gosh, I have to memorize all this. Do we have to to memorize all these styles? No, uh, you don't have to memorize uh, all of these styles. What you can do is find what you are doing repeatedly and make up a cheat sheet for yourself. You know, uh-huh. you can say, oh, well, look, I'm, I'm doing a lot of interviews, and this is how you cite an interview. Or I'm doing a lot of uh, census documents, and this is how I would cite a census document. Uh, but the easiest way to get around all of that is to purchase a genealogy software program that does a lot of that for you. And there are some of the uh, genealogy software programs out there that have templates that all you need to do is answer the questions that they provide, and they will input the information automatically into a sentence for you. And that ideally is um, what you would like because that, that would eliminate a lot of redoing of information. I changed from uh, one genealogy software program to another, and last summer I made it my mission to resource all of my sources. And so I had about 15 inches of documents that I had to source, and so I laid out the summer in order to do it, and it took me uh, about five or six weeks and about 78 hours within those five or six weeks to uh, resource all of my documents from 
the beginning. And what I found is I could type in the information. I typed it into a Word document, and then I cut and paste some of the repeated words, like when I'm doing census, you know, Uh 1900 census, I would cut from a Word document into my genealogy software program, and that way I saved an awful lot of uh, typing and an awful lot of stress and everything else that comes with uh, sourcing senior documents. Yeah. So even if you have never cited your sources before, or whether you have done them for years, but maybe there's some inconsistency there, a class like this could really help you kind of get everything fine-tuned so that as you go into the future and as you share your research, you're going to be much more successful. Um, if you're interested in attending Charlotte's class, again, it's called Source Citation 101, How to Cite Genealogy Sources Accurately and Effectively. I will have a link for you um, that takes you directly to that page at Family Tree University, or you can just go to FamilyTreeUniversity.com. Charlotte, thank you so much. It sounds like uh, it's important work to do, and all of us should strive to do it. (laughs) Yes, thank you very much, Lisa, for inviting me to talk about this subject. As we wrap up this March 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, let's check in with our editor at the editor's desk, Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, we've been talking about quite an eclectic mix of family history topics. Um, what kinds of resources do you have for us to kind of help us keep going? Well, the first thing I thought I would mention is, you know, a lot of us have been very enthusiastic about the television show, Who Do You Think You Are? And we've even roped some of our family members into watching it with us on Friday nights. Yes. So, you know, I think some of us have people who are kind of catching that genealogy bug, and we have something just for them. Excellent. Yeah, we introduced, um, some of you may know, in our shopfamilytree.com, a program where we're handpicking a selection of products on a certain theme every month, and we're offering them at a huge discount, so 50 to 70% off in most cases. And this month, um, our ultimate collection, as we call them, is a family history starter collection, so it's got lots of great products and resources for all of those genealogy newbies who maybe got interested as a result of who do you think you are um, to take their search to the next level and um, you know act, really get started looking for their roots. So I'm guessing many of you probably know someone who falls into this category and this ultimate collection is great for them. But the catch is there's only 150 available. So um, if you know somebody who might be interested, act fast before they're gone. Yeah, it's an amazing discount. And That would be a wonderful gift for anybody. Um, Just that I've been talking to people and they're like, oh, I'm watching the show. This looks really cool. Oh, you know, I I thought you had to be retired to get all that stuff done. And and then they just see how the emotional journeys that the celebrities take. I know Lionel Richie's episode was wonderful again as well. Um, And I tell you, we can convert them because I was uh, just went over to England with my husband and we went to the Who Do You Think You Are live conference, which I've been talking about on the 
Genealogy Insider blog, and we did some family history research for his family. And Allison, I think he caught the bug. Oh, we've got to get him this kit. <laughs> yes, I know because you know, and it's so funny because you can see all the 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 basic things that the newbies do, and he starts feverishly writing everything down the book. And I realize, you know, it's so exciting when we start out, but having a resource like this where you can hand this to, the, to a person who's really got the bug and, and say, okay, so here, this will get you on the right track so they don't make some of the same mistakes we all did in the beginning, right? Absolutely. There's lots of great stuff to help you avoid those mistakes, but also just to, like you were saying, steer on the right path in the first place um, and you know, guidance and tools that you can take advantage of so you're not just kind of floundering around not knowing what you're doing. Wonderful. Well, I'll have a link to um, the kit in the show notes. And as she said, there's a limited number. So if you've got your eye on this, I would recommend jumping on it. And Allison, you know, we were talking with Lisa also during our top tip segment, and she was giving us some great ideas about um, brick wall busters. You have a, a resource for us to kind of keep going with that theme? Absolutely. We're reissuing a book that was originally published several years ago called The Family Tree Problem Solver. It was written by Marsha Hoffman Rising, who uh, recently passed away, but she was a very well-known and respected genealogist in the field. And the book is a wonderful resource. It's actually been one of our top-selling books because it's just full of so many techniques and case studies and real-life applications for what to do when you get stuck. Marsha was very well known as a problem solver in the genealogy field, and she often lectured on, on that. And so, you know, all of that great, great advice is captured in the book. And um, essentially, it's the same content. We've updated and refreshed it with, you know, new websites and um, information about DNA testing and that kind of thing that wasn't around as much at the time that the book originally was published. And, um, you know, it's got a fresh design and all of that stuff. But um, it's a really, really great resource that we feel like we've made even better, and um, it's going to be available by the end of this month. In fact, it can be pre-ordered right now um, at ShopFamilyTree.com. Oh, wonderful. That book is such a wonderful legacy that Marsha left, and it continues to help people. Um, and I, I don't know, I think I never um, stop learning from reading case studies of other genealogists because it's it's interesting how you can kind of see the methodology they follow and you go, wow, maybe that'll apply to something I was doing. And it just really helps to get those stories from other people doing the same things we are. Absolutely. You can take away so many ideas from just seeing how somebody else puts the different pieces together. So even if your pieces aren't exactly the same, you can kind of get an idea of the mindset and how you might put your own puzzle pieces together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, wonderful. Both of those resources that Allison's been talking about will be in the show notes for you. And Allison, I am looking forward to seeing you at the Ohio Genealogical Society Conference here at the end of the month. Likewise, all of you folks uh, listening out there in Ohio, be sure to come by our booth and say hello. Yep, we will see you all there. Thanks so much, Allison. Thank you, Lisa. Thanks so much for joining me for this March 2011 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com slash insider. 
Next, head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast. And there you will find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we covered on today's episode. And then head on over to the National Archives Ireland website at nationalarchives.ie to start tracking down your Irish ancestors. If you have any questions or comments, I hope you'll email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. And both of those shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. 